because I went to Thailand. Are you flipping the cards on me? Are you trying to interview me <laughs> Gotcha. Hello, welcome to Go Off Pro with me, Greg O'Keefe. <laughs> <laughs> My guest today. <laughs> Sorry, we're <come> on. <laughs> Welcome back to the Go Offices podcast. You're here with me, Mimi, and today I have another lovely guest with me, the one, the only, Greg O'Keefe. And the crowd goes wild. Um, Greg, introduce yourself for those who don't know who you are. Obviously, you are quite a, a big celebrity a here, here in Liverpool, especially. Yeah. But um, yeah, just give us a little brief overview of who you are, what you do. Me and Roots, mate. Is that it? And no, yeah. So <laughs> I am, I am me and Roots, mate. Before uh, that, but before that, seismic change in my life. Uh, I was working at Liverpool Hope, wasn't I? Doing PR, but generally, that's why would you say what your previous job was instead of <laughs> what you do now? I'm a sports writer for the Athletic. And that's, that's been that's generally been my career journalism and particularly football and sports so I worked for the BBC before that I used to work for Liverpool Echo for a long time covering Everton and football on Merseyside and then before that news crime features you know me wow and I started out at the Southport Visitor what's that? it's a newspaper a weekly newspaper oh, I, thought, I thought it was a hospital <laughs> why and would you it be gonna, a hospital? that's where you were going to be born that's where you were born Oh, that's when you, that's where you started out. Oh, you thought I was going for origin story? Yeah. I was born villain in, origin story. <laughs> I'm so old, the hospital I was born doesn't exist. <laughs> Mill Lane Maternity Hospital. Oh, you've been serious? Yeah, actually that. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, I do sometimes forget you are a bit older than me. Okay. And I think that's what makes our friendship so different to yeah. the usual friendships. Um, so, guys, just to give you, obviously, a bit of context. Context klaxon. <laughs> so Greg similar to me and Ruth Greg and I met at my last job at Greg's last job at, um, at Hope University you know Greg was what were you doing? PR PR and communications yeah. well you say that but you weren't doing a lot were you? <laughs> I, I worked very hard during those 10 months thank you okay, except okay. when you and Ruth were around yeah so me, me and Ruth joined um, and Greg was working there and you were always quite a friendly guy in the office. That makes you sound a little bit creepy, but it wasn't, it wasn't in a creepy way. It wasn't in a creepy way. Hey, what you doing? I always remember, and I remember it a lot more clearly because there's a video that Ruth has of it, when there used to be a thing in the office where people would change backgrounds to like silly things. And me and Ruth changed somebody's background to the little guy, Mason Ramsey, the little, for those who don't know who Mason Ramsey is, he's that Walmart kid who was yodeling yeah. in Walmart. At the time, you know, we found him hilarious. Mm. He's so much more than that since then, of course. Of course. But he's, yeah, he, he was originally the Walmart kid. Yes, and so we put him as somebody's background and Greg walks in, walks <laughs> walks past the computer screen and he's like, ah, oh, he's great him. <laughs> Why was she was she filming that just for the devilment of look what we're doing? Yeah, it was like and I gate crashed that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then you're just in the background like, oh, he's great, that kid. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think that kind of catapulted 
the bonding of strange how friendship start isn't it yeah of Mason Ramsey and like you, I remember sitting with you for like a good hour in the office just reading about his life and his story. He's like 40. <laughs> we maybe, maybe we are the creeps yeah. in this story. But um, yeah, and then the friendship blossomed. And then me and Ruth had been there, what, like two months and then you left. Yeah, so that then, because the Athletic launched in the UK then, if you remember. Yes. And it's an American company and they were like, they're, they're really big in the States and the guys who started it used to be um, founder members of Strava. Oh. And then they sold their shares in Strava and started the Athletic. So it was going for about 18 months, I think. And then they decided there was an opportunity in England with the football and mm. they moved over. And it was a phase where they were going around sort of like hiring people. And I just remember it was a point where like my friend James, I think I told you at the time, had been invited to this genuinely clandestine meeting in London. And it wasn't even viewed as a job interview. It was just come down and talk to us. And they were doing that with loads of different sports writers and, and then they were sort of hiring them by stealth because they didn't want other people to know that they were going to launch and you had to agree not to publicise the fact you'd been down there until you, uh-huh. you signed a contract. And I was sort of speaking to James one day and I was like, oh, it's brilliant, great opportunity for you, mate, superb. Really happy and hope, as you know, kind of loved the place, loved the people, obviously. And then they got in touch with me and I was like, shit, I've only been here in this job 10 months, I can enjoy it. It's like hopefully one that you know can go places and yeah. and then all of a sudden I like to go back to something that's probably your, your passion writing the journalistic writing mm. or stay in like a job that you're just learning to enjoy, mm. which doesn't have many of the downsides of journalism like you don't have to work weekends and the hours were a bit easier and things like that. So it was a difficult one, but in the end, even the pull of you and Ruth. <laughs> it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Well, I, I actually, and we did. I actually knew that we'd just be mates then, anyway. So it wouldn't matter. It, was, oh. it wasn't as if like you, you know, you'd never. Some people, yeah, you don't you ever see them, see them again. And there were so many fun people who that was the case. Mm. They'll always think fondly of, but you kind of just got the impression we'd be mates early. So. Yeah, and we were. And we were. And it, and it blossomed into a beautiful friendship. We do sometimes call you dad because you are as o- as old old enough to be our dad. Which still pisses me off. Which. I don't think is that much of an insult. Well, I mean, I'd be, I, I would have been a very, very young dad, but it's only vanity <laughs> that makes me bristle about that, really. Because <laughs> you're right, I could, yeah, I could comfortably be your dad. I'm, I'm 41. How old are you two? 23. Ruth's what? 25. 24. 25. Yes, yeah, 25. So yeah, she's you kicking could. on old Ruthie, isn't she? She is. She is an old git. But <laughs> yeah. um, so okay, you're a journalist. See. Sports journalist. Yes. Um, what what kicked that off for you? Was that always something you wanted to do? Did you just yeah. fall into it? No, it, it, I was lucky. It was always something I wanted to do. I remember at school, a lot of my mates were like, oh, I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. Up to A-levels, degree level. And they kind of, my best, one of my really best mates, Stu, was uh, such a clever, talented lad, but he never had that thing. And it really freaked him out when he was like doing A-levels and going to uni because he felt like he was directionless mm. whereas what I was fortunate is and probably because that was the thing I was good at really I wasn't like someone who was a jack of all trades brilliant at everything it was just I could write I was good at English I liked reading <laughs> basically and that was just for me I just loved like uh, obviously a big fan of sports and stuff and I just knew that that was something I wanted to get into not that I was able to get into sport straight away yeah because it's, it's like super competitive and you've got to save your time doing other things largely or it did when I was going into it. 
but that was always the get the end result and or the end goal and, and yeah it worked that's so nice i feel like that is rare especially like yeah. you made was it stew yeah like i i i think i was like that i was very much like what the fuck am i doing stressful like imagine, yeah. and then i think similar to you i was good at english and i was good at i was good at psychology but i think i was good at that because of the the writing aspect of it yeah and then yeah that just led me to to english but yeah it is a daunting time did you do an english degree yeah i always forget this about you what the hell i did i'm so jealous people are doing english i did english language i did know that yeah yeah of course because we always thought yeah yes but um yeah it's it's a nice nice subject but again though it's one where like so i did journalism i know obviously 90 percent of people who do journalism or i don't know I've let a lie. That's not a stat at all. But I would imagine most, <laughs> there's to, no factual just basis. Just to clarify that, that that is a lie. It's clear that if you do a journalism degree, you're likely to then go and try and go into a career journalism. Yeah. It's almost vocational. Whereas with English language or what did Stu do? I think he did like geography. There's just so many different avenues, which is great mm, in one way. But, but it it's really, also yeah. yeah, it's almost too broad in a sense. A little and bit, then yeah. With English, especially, you fall into that thing of like, oh, well, are you going to be a teacher? And I think unless you have a bit more experience in those specific fields, you do end up going down the teacher path, which is fine for some people, but not for me. Yeah. Did you ever think about being a teacher? Mm, yes, because I went to Thailand. Are you flipping the cards on me? Are you trying to interview me now? <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Hello, welcome to Go Off Bro with me, Greg O'Keefe. <laughs> My guest today... <laughs> Sorry, come on. You're, you're, um, you're not on the seat here, on the hot seat. But you did, it's quite a good story that when, about when you went to Thailand. Yeah, I went to Thailand, did some teaching to get my te- TEFL, which I'm pretty sure was a scam. <laughs> like, looking back and speaking. So I know I know a couple of the people that I went with now. The rest of them were dickheads. But um, a few of them a few of them were nice. Um, and... But yeah, when I went over there, I think that actually was what made me realise that I don't want to be a teacher. Because <laughs> I was just like, this is... Like, we were getting up at like five, six in the morning, doing like an hour on this like weird bus thing. I know it wouldn't be the same if I taught in England. <laughs> but like, I'm not sure that was atypical. Although, that's not the only teaching experience. <laughs> yeah, although, I mean, they do have to go really early and do lesson plans. And yeah, stuff that's like that. it. Like, that kind of lifestyle, like planning lessons, like... Having patience, that I just, I just did not have that. I'm trying to say that you're an impatient person because I mean I resent that. I think you're no, you are. Shut you're up. fucking really impatient. <laughs> but yeah, but then yes, yeah, so when I came back, there was this massive like expose about the people who were running the program and like that they were like really mistreating the Thai people over there. And then yeah, it was all a bit mad. It's all a bit mad, but um. That's another. That's a story for another. Wasn't year. for you anyway. It wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. Um, but back to you, which is what we're here for. Um, you said that you didn't obviously go into sports straight away. Yes. You did a few, a few other things. Yes. Yeah. What What was that like? Well, do you remember I said about the Southport visitor that you assumed was a hospital? <laughs> yes. It was actually a weekly newspaper. <laughs> a very quaint name. Which is. Is it the, the Southport visitor? That's what it's called. Oh. Doesn't really make any sense though. It's, no, it's a strange one. I mean, that it, that paper is like ridiculously old. It's got that name and it's even spelt 
weird because it's like spelled in the V-I-S-I-T-E-R it's spelled uh-huh. wrongly that's because that was like it's that's how the, they used to spell it it's from the 19th century so that oh, was like the original yeah. newspaper in Southport and then over the years obviously so when I started it was like in 1847 <laughs> that was bought by the Liverpool Echo Group and all that and uh. so they've got like they're still I think some of them are still going like Crosby Herald Ormskirk Advertiser the Southport Visitor it sounds so it's where so it's all going on <laughs> it's like but it's a weekly paper, and so it's like a good place to start as a journalist. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, the pace is a bit more. It's a bit. It's not as. Boom, boom, it's not boom. as exactly as the Liverpool Echo, where yeah. it's just so that. But like, that was my goal to get onto the Echo, but I kind of. And I was speaking to someone today actually about it when it came out of uni, and I had two job offers. One was for a place called Mercury Press, which is still going now, which is a press agency in Liverpool yeah. that supplies stories to the national newspapers. So if they need something doing, but they haven't got a correspondent who can come to Liverpool on a given day, they buy sort of articles, if you like, okay. they call copy. So they'll buy the copy or they'll commission a story and there'll be journalists employed by this agencies to do it. Right. And it's traditionally really low paid, but it's a very quick route into like national newspapers because yeah. you're working with, you're liaising with people on you're the news desk in London. With, yeah. Exactly. But they offered me a job. So I went for an interview for them. They offered me a job on the pricely sum of a salary of £8,500 per annum. <laughs> and I actually literally thought, right, my student debt is worse than that. I cannot agree. To, I, that's just, I can't. That's crazy. So then I got this job at the Echo. Uh, sorry, at the Visitor. Right, uh, yeah. And which I'm a, and their, my original salary was £10,500. Just under £10,500. That was in 2002. Bloody hell. So that was like... And how long after you graduated was that? Again, I was lucky because I got I graduated in the June, say, or I finished university in the June. Of 2002? Uh, yeah. Fucking hell, you're old. I know, yeah. So I started, yeah. 2000, it was, 99, 2000, Yeah, 2002. And I started work like the week so after. So you were pretty quick, yeah. So I kind of teed up the job. Mm. So it was a couple of weeks after I, fin- after I finished uni, I started working. And you were on 10, 10k? Le- yeah, just less than 10,500. But I lived at home. Still though. But yeah, it was inside. I didn't have a car. And it was I bet you don't even get taxed on that, do you? Because it's so. Doesn't it's it, so falls, it, does, it falls under the threshold? So you didn't get taxed. Well, there's, there's a perk there. Exactly. I just got taxed by Liz O'Keefe and maybe pay keep. And yeah, but yeah, I used to have to get a bus to town and then a train from town to Southport. Have you ever been to Southport? Mm. Since, no. since you've been an adopted scouser. No, I haven't. I've been to Stockport. I got confused there. <laughs> Never been to Southport. Right, okay. Well, anyway, it's a sleepy seaside town. Yeah. Former massive resort. and it's, It is a lovely place, but yeah, it was, it, it was quite a quiet pace compared to yeah. like living in Sheffield or Liverpool. Yeah. And, but it was good. It was an interesting place to start out. I managed to learn a lot of the stuff. Got the newspaper sued once, which Ooh. wasn't fun. You did? Yeah. What, because of something you wrote? It was a, a rookie error. Go on. So there was a restaurant in Southport, I think I might have told you about this ages ago, and they, they'd taken a, a load of deposits for Christmas, uh, staff Christmas nights out, and then they'd closed, gone gone bankrupt, and the people who were trying to you know fa- ring to find out what's going on couldn't get anyone. And it turned out that their money had gone. So all the deposits, they lost the deposits. So they got in touch with our news desk. And it was like, right, go and find out what's happened here. So I went down. And the problem, the mistake I made 
was that you know on some businesses you have like the licensees there's a plaque on restaurants or bars yes don't think it's always the case now but they have it like licensee Mia Thornton you know blah 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 mm-hmm. so I saw that and then went back and assumed that the name on the on the, the licensee was the people who run and they're the ones who bugged off and I since found out that the, the owners or the, or the managers had gone to New Zealand so I used their name did this article blah 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 turns out the people I'd named weren't the managers who'd done a runner. It was just a licensee who was involved, but not in any way of the dodgy oh. side of things. And it was like this local Tory councillor. And he was like, so when you talk about defamation, like mm. defamatory statements, if someone's got a reputation to protect and means to protect it, so they've got a public facing job and they've got a few quid, it's like the red flags of death because they're always going to sue. And he was like, Fuck. public profile, rich. <laughs> And he sued, but in the end, I think they sort of settled. So I didn't. We didn't really get sued. We just got threatened sued, but they had to pay out to him your put, salary. I put a correction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I honestly thought I was going to lose my job. That was only about a few months in. And I thought, Did you oh, get I've... like? A no, stone. I got. This is where they were great. So the woman who was the managing editor, Jane Daly, was actually really sound about it. And I thought I was going to get bollocked. And and she they did. It was scary enough as it was. But she just sort of realised it was a genuine rookie error. Yeah, it wasn't like... It was more of a learning experience. And even though she could... I mean, she probably had to face a lot of shit for like... I mean, because it shouldn't have happened if someone above me had been doing the job a bit more as well. True, you should have been monitored Given a bit a, more. Given I was a junior reporter, they might have, have double-checked. Yeah, stuff. they might have fact-checked the whole article. I'm not, I'm not trying to like relinquish my responsibility in this shit show. But they were great with me, to be fair. Aww. I know, it was brilliant. And I enjoyed it. And I did some really interesting stories when I was there. The bet won the most funniest ones was there's this horse or there was a horse called Red Rum who won the Grand National like three times famous like Grand National horse and it was stabled in Southport and its owner was like you know from Blackpool but was a big celebrity in in Northwest and one of their old stables in in Southport had been turned into a a massage (laughs) parlour so I got sent to go and like find out like what was going on but I had to like pretend to just be like, oh, I'm just come on and see what's going on and that, and, and then do like an expose. What? Fair man, this is a weekly newspaper. Well, like, wait, so what, what were you exposing? Well, so... Like, this, was it like a, it, a sexual massage? Oh, yeah, sorry, a massage parlor. It wasn't like, they weren't just like doing holistic... Like, it wasn't just back like... Back shoulders and... Oh. and it was, a, it was a brothel, effectively. Oh, shit! I thought that you'd understand that's what I meant by massage part. Well, no, I thought you just... It was a knocking shop. <laughs> it turned into, like, a spa type thing. But it, that, it was one of those places where, like, you go in, they would say, like, oh, yeah, we're, we do do massage, like you're saying. But, you, but then it's like, you pay a bit more. Like, Happy ending, sir? Or ah. ma'am? So it was one of them. And the point was, I think local residents have been, like, realise what it was and we're kicking off I don't want to you know this happen. we don't want that on our turf and, and the thing was it was in Red Rum's former stables so we <laughs> did this article and it was like, used in like the Sunday People and the Sunday Mirror and because it's just a bit it's silly it's frivolous but yeah. the fact that it was in this famous horse of stables and so what did you have to do when you were in there did you get a massage no I didn't <laughs> I did for the record I had to just go in and be like so what goes on here <laughs> If I were to book a massage and then... And could you uh, yeah. offer me any extra services? But the woman, like, the, the lady who ran it, um, didn't really need... She was very... I mean, thing is, funny thing is now, I don't think anyone would give a shit. 
really. Nah, there's devils that happen. Probably still, yeah, and there probably is still like people who are a bit like wouldn't want it in their back garden, you know, not on my street. Yeah. But I think generally it wouldn't be as big a deal. Um, but she was just like dead open, really. And what? and then and then she didn't even kick off when the article went in. She was sound because she just saw it was good publicity. Yeah. Um. So it proved like a business it, flourished. Really. Was it not illegal what she was doing? So this is the thing. It's not illegal to hang on. How can I? So it's basically not illegal to sell to, for a sex worker to sell sex to yeah. a punter isn't illegal. This could be another one of my like this isn't really a fact, but I think to facilitate it, it, it is illegal. So if she wasn't profiting off it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so I think the point, the grey area is like, so being a pimp is illegal. Yeah. Selling sex isn't strictly illegal. Mm-hmm. And if she could say that it is a massage place where effectively her, the people who works for her are self-employed and they, they give, do. and they do massages, yeah. but then if anything else transpires, that's a transaction between that person and the customer. Got yeah. I think that's where the grey area is. I don't, I don't know how it's taken on. Yeah, we went, we went and gone. <laughs> they, the other Southport. What was it called? The Southport visitor. visitor. <laughs> it was all going off in there. Go opposite. Telling you. Bloody hell. Frig, right. Well, okay. So moving on from the Southport visitor. Moving on. You went to. As I did a couple of years after joining in well, 2004. What was, what was the reason for you leaving there then? Were you just like. I got off the job on the echo. Okay. It was so like it was, was like the big brother of that paper. So you were just you wanted your way in. You saw a way, and you still really, mm-hmm. you got what you wanted into the echo. Tell me about that. That was like it was my dream job. I was so excited, and it was fucking hard. Like I went from this like being this <laughs> lovely genteel pace of the visitor and learning on the job, and the people were great, and it was. To being like on the sort of news, not I wasn't a news editor, but I was a reporter in the Echo, and it, it was very different. Like there was no time for any like uh, faffing around, no time for any errors, no time for any inaccuracies. Everything had to be done a million miles an hour. You, you know, shift work. Mm. Unlike the visitor was like nine to five, Monday to Friday. Um, thrown at the deep end. There's been a double murder in Kirby. You're going out. Uh, get there for seven, find out what's happened, and then Fucking you'd be getting calls at ten past seven from the new desk. What's happened? I'm not there yet. We'll hurry up. Half past seven. Right? Can we get an article out for eight o'clock? No, no. I, I still don't know what's happened. Well, you've been there for twenty minutes. What's going on? And it was just like from, it was a million miles an hour from day one. The news editors were all like like pretty tough, uncompromising people, and it was a steep learning curve. Yeah. So you know when you think like it's something you've wanted for so long, yeah. And in that first month or so, I was thinking. I hate this. This is not. But it was just a period that I had to like painful adjustment mm-hmm. to like proper journalism, really. Yeah. Or not proper, but harder journalism. Yeah. And so eventually I sort of swam, but I did think I would sink at first. <laughs> I was like, this is stressful. And how old were you at this point? Uh, 24. Okay, so. So was you. Pretty well, much, yeah, pretty yeah, much yeah, my yeah, age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Did you have a few breakdowns, a few cries in the toilet? I didn't. I don't think I did cry about it. No, but no, no, not that there would have been anything wrong with that. I think I was more just like, "This is shit." And yeah. I was like, you just did you enjoy it in any aspect? Like the, initially, the writing, or was it like a different type of writing that you were used to? I did enjoy it. I you see. The thing is, that there's 
always a massive buzz when you're a journalist seeing your byline on something because you know getting a piece published yeah and you're proud of it and you know your peers read it and stuff like that and I did and especially like if you'd get a front page a splash that they call it and your name on it would be like a massive buzz and that would kind of like Make supersede yeah, yeah the, the sort of other and but generally I was just thinking like it's pretty miserable this and I'm not sure I'm going to be cut out for it but there were little rewards along the way yeah that kept me going until I like sort of adjusted to the pace and then when I got into the swing of it I loved it and it was just like I loved the dynamism of going into work and it was a old old street it is on the Echo it's, it's still there but it's moved buildings it was in what's now just become a hotel the new Geno's and then there's the inside hotel oh I was speaking the, to so the Echo was in that building it was over like four floors it was teeming with people you'd go in whether you started at 6am 7am or you were starting at 12 like midnight it'd be busy that's and mad. it was just fun it was a really exciting place to be it was always something was happening the phones were ringing a million phones were ringing but I remember one thing I used to be a bit, um, what's the word, uh, self-conscious about. don't know if you've ever had this, I hope, was when you sat in an open plan office with someone next to you and someone there, like making a call in work. Did oh, you ever have that? yeah, I used to hear that. It's a little bit, it's weird, isn't yeah. it? And yeah. especially when you're kind of ringing people who don't want to talk. Or, yeah, and so. you've got to be like, hi. Is yeah. This? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I hate, oh, yeah. So that, but anyway, so yeah, I loved it. So eventually, when I got over like the fact that I, oh, this, you know, this is this is tough. Like I loved it. Yeah. Mm. And what what I can't remember if it was when you worked at the Echo or when you said you had to do the another undercover <laughs> kind of expose with the maids. Oh, that no, that was when I went some work. So so anyway, I was enjoying the Echo loads, and it was a point where I was wondering about moving to London, wasn't I? Yeah. To go and work on like the Nationals and sort yes. of Fleet Street as yeah. it was then. The big boys. Yeah, and I got a secondment to the Sunday people. What does a secondment mean? It's, it's just because it was the same company. It just means your role doesn't change, so your original job's still there, but they they jostle it around, so they give you an opportunity to go and try a different role somewhere else within the company, oh, okay. which is not permanent, basically. Mm. It just, uh, it's just like a temporary CEO. attachment. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Okay. So it was on the Sunday people, on the investigations desk, and I thought it was kind of like, oh, this is it. I'm going to be like uncovering like violent crime. <laughs> Sleuthing up. Yeah, you know, corrupt MPs. And then the first week, it only lasted, I think I was down in London about six weeks, crashing on the mate's couch. And my friend Dan worked on the Daily Mirror. And his dad was like a celebrated journalist, worked in the Sunday mm-hmm. Times and stuff like that. So they lived in Ealing. And I remember I was crashing on his couch and going into Canary Wharf. But the first story I did was another, I don't know why this happened twice, but it was another sort of seedy type expose. And this time, if you they remember... They must think that you're the perfect fit for them. This time, well, this time, if you remember, it was... So the idea was, there was these people running... Um, they weren't people trafficked, but they were using the people who were in the country with without visas and things like yes, that and so yeah. therefore they weren't accounted for they couldn't be their rights couldn't be definitely upheld and they used them as insect work as escorts basically mm. but the way they were doing it was they would be like Mrs. <laughs> I forget what the company was called but they pretend to go around to your house clean your house <laughs> and but then actually they go surprise I'm a prostitute 
Because <laughs> they'd have like sort of like uh, be dressed as like a cleaner, but like a sexy cleaner. So people would knowingly. Yeah, people would know. What, okay, what, it wouldn't be like you but, get your mate. Yeah, the but you know what I was saying about the whole kind of like grey area. Well, so yes. in theory yeah. they're there to just polish your your furniture. But whatever happens, but then they turn that. up and they're like, "I'm here to polish, polish your furniture in suspenders and a basque, whatever it is." And anyway, and then what happens beyond that? So that's the thing. So right. they sent me to this hotel in Docklands in London because obviously I didn't have a house because I was like 25. And they said, like, here's some money, here's a, here's a, a retainer. Go and just, so you need to go and be like the, the guinea pig to get, so book one, book one of these women to come out and like find out if they're definitely sex workers. So I had remember I told you I had a briefcase yeah <laughs> so who has a briefcase and in in the briefcase the was a was a camera oh my god and the the, the button on the on the handle of the briefcase or sorry the button on the locker briefcase was the lens and I had a suit on and I was I was wearing a wire <laughs> this guy was wearing a wire I was wearing a wire to record the audio oh my god so <laughs> weird surreal situation as it was I'm in this hotel room, thinking Doc Land's going, this is fucking weird, like spooks or something. <laughs> and then this woman turns up, and she was Eastern European, and she turns up and she's like, oh, is it Mr... I don't even know if I gave my real name, but whatever it is. I was like, yeah, yeah, come in. And she went, um, my uh, friend is in the car park. And so it was obviously, yeah, like kind of pimp slash maybe security, I don't know. Yeah. So I said, like, okay, fine. So she comes in, takes her coat off, and she had like underwear on, but like, like you know, kind of fucking weird. Heels, and, I, and then she was like, "You want me to clean the room?" I was like, "Yeah, I guess." So she's like, the thing, "Why did she think? Why did she not question cleaning a hotel room? Because that's what the hotel because she was going through the motions of pretending." Okay. Right. Right. So she and, and then after like two seconds, like getting a dust out and going, "Oh, I clean. How are you? You are." Then she went, "Okay, you want sex?" And I was just like. I said, so then I had to sort of say, yeah, well, what, like what? <laughs> and then she had to like explain, you know, like what, so she basically itemise what I could have. And then at that point I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm engaged, I feel really guilty, I'm sorry, I'll pay you for your time, I can't go ahead with this. So she was like, amazing, brilliant, get paid the money, whatever it was, a couple of hundred quid, and off she went. And then they they then had the evidence that this she worked this agency that was basically right. organising these people who were taking advantage of them really yeah I was going to say are they being forced <clears throat> to do this no I don't or? think so I think there was there was a suspicion that they were being coerced into sex work and that was implied in the article but I don't think they could ever really prove it um, and then so it was like and it was just like a page like 23 article but when I look back on it now, it's it's, it's a weird story and it's quite funny, isn't it? The fact that I just because it's, it's, it's the fact that it's you, me, yeah. But I sort of think back now, like, what good did that serve? I, oh, they pixelated yeah. her face so she wasn't named, or like was know. it like a picture of you in a like? No, I wasn't pictured. <laughs> no, no, but I just think like it was just salacious, really. I don't think yeah. there was any like public interest in it. I think yeah. it was just to get sex into the paper. Yeah, it was to have to that kind of like. Oh, the kind of the whole kind of thing of sex sells. Yeah. But like, yeah, what is actually being do- like? Did these people get stopped from doing this? No. Like- so there was never any like. Uh, and so I was thinking like, okay, there's gonna be a follow up where 
they'll go they'll go after the people who are organising it, and mm. there'll be some like public good. They might get like stopped yeah. as a result of like you know proper campaign journalism. But uh, it didn't. I remember thinking like, and then the other sort of stuff that I was working on was like very much like, um, so such and such is going to be at a club tonight in the West End, and um, we've heard that they've got a massive coke habit. So you need to go to that club, follow them, find out if they have. And then tell our city desk, them like the three AM girls and things like mm. that. Joke, driven what like they were showbiz columnists in the mirror. Liaise with them, and, and then we'll you'll feed into a piece about this celebrity having it. And I just thought this isn't for me. Yeah, this, just, this isn't. For that me, sounds like it? something out of like a TV show. I didn't even realise that people would were doing that. It was very much of its time that type of journalism in like yeah. the, the early two thousands, and since Leveson, which has changed it for generally for the better. It just doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. I think I think some national papers still have a showbiz columnist, but whereas back then it was very much let's catch out these celebrities yeah. for having drug habits. Or I think now it's let's changed show to them be as bad people. Yeah, exactly. And it was like you know, sort of a thousand pound a week, you know, kind of pop star who sold it, and they've got a drug habit. I feel like thankfully journalism has changed to become yeah. a bit less judgy. Mm. And a bit more... Like, a bit I mean, more about what it should be about, which yeah. is like... I mean, there's still a lot of tawdry, tabloid crap, Oh, absolutely. You know, and a lot of them do it, and people click and the mail online, people will hate themselves, but will read it, and there'll be a lot of that sort of like, oh, look at this celebrity, and they've put on weight type thing. Yeah. So journalism hasn't changed for the good. I'm not saying it's like now a universal force for good, but it was it was a little bit tawdry back then. And even before that, even worse. Mm. So I, realized, I just realised that wasn't for me at all. So I ended up going back to the Echo then and back to sort of like crime reporting. I did that and covered some like really big cases in Liverpool in the past sort of 15 years. What was the biggest one that you covered? For me, it would have been... Well, for my personal involvement, it was the Michael Shields one. I don't know why I just popped my... Uh, sorry. <laughs> which was a young lad from Liverpool who went to the Champions League final in 2005 to watch Liverpool. Uh, in Istanbul obviously they won massive oh, game and then he was coming back through Bulgaria which a lot of people went through that route to Golden Sand which is a resort in Bulgaria where they had a, a holiday after the, the game basically and while he was there there was a fight uh, a barman like a waiter from a bar had a paving slab cracked over his head <gasps> nearly died very nearly died and Michael was accused of it arrested and convicted and sorry well it happened over time but mm. initially he was arrested and locked up uh, accused of this and his dad got in touch with us and was just like my son's innocent he didn't do it and as you can imagine like there's a bit degree of cynicism like oh yeah Betty is like yeah mm. but the more I looked into it spoke to the family and kind of researched it I began to think you know this lad is innocent yeah. something's gone on here and so it went and um, there was a trial which was a sham and he was convicted. And this was in Bulgaria? There was a trial in Bulgaria, okay. and, and he was convicted, wrongly convicted, and sentenced to like 20 years in prison. And he was 18, and he was innocent. And it was a miscarriage of justice, and then so we were doing this, following it as a running story, like it would develop every week. Yeah. And to the stage that at one point, a lad in, another lad in Liverpool, who, who rumours have been saying he did it, and had left before he could be arrested, actually admitted to doing it Whoa. to the Echo so, so we broke that story so you've got a lad locked up in Bulgaria for something he didn't do and then the, the person... lad who did it admitted in Liverpool 
then the Bulgarians were like, well, if he's done it, he needs to come back and face justice because we think we've got the right person. The lad over here didn't. Obviously not. So it was this whole thing. Eventually, Michael served a few years, mm. but the British government lobbied, and in the end, the Bulgarians allowed him to be repatriated to the UK. He was put in a prison in the UK in like a low category one. And after a few months of campaigning from Joe Anderson, the former mayor who at the time was a councillor, mm. and the Echo, yeah. and his family more, more than anything, the British government pardoned him and said there's been a miscarriage of justice, he didn't do this, so he was formally given a Queen's pardon, Freaking and he was released. And, um, and you were the... And so I was kind of, so I was the correspondent for that from day one, really, and it was became friends of Michael, because I went to visit him a couple of times in his prison in Bulgaria. Which was weird. I was like, going to say, what was that? The police, well, the, the guards. Were, it was more like a, what you'd imagine, like a prisoner of war camp, because the guards were all like in these quasi-military uniforms with like automatic guns. Yeah. And it was like it was rough. The prison in Bulgaria. <laughs> I'm not gonna, not gonna lie. It wasn't like a prison. I mean, prisons here aren't exactly bad yeah. houses, but this was like. And like, is it like where, dripping water, like mouldy walls, it, brick cells? It's what you imagine it to be. Yeah, like it's not any much, better than no. that. Yeah, freaking hell. So did you? And then sorry, sorry go, go on. No, no, go, go. No, you go. So we did that, and then I covered the uh, Reese Jones murder. Oh yeah. When little Reese Jones got shot, and I covered the Anthony Walker murder as well in Heighton. Oh. So there was a couple of really high-profile, tragic events that happened during my time co- as a yeah. you know, covering crime that I ended up getting involved in so yeah what I was literally the, the girl I had on last Iona she <clears throat> we were talking about Heighton and because she grew up there oh okay what was it like covering that case in, in Liverpool at the time oh, horrible um, and obviously the, the drama came out was it last year or was it a couple yeah of, last year I think it was last year wasn't it and it brought it all back uh, and I was speaking to somebody recently actually who I was at a wedding on Saturday and I was speaking to a guy who taught Anthony and, and was his basketball coach and just he got a bit emotional because you know he obviously we'd had a drink and he was remembering just what a lovely lovely lad he was mm. and that was the thing from day one when you go and speak to people even before you knew the circumstances you knew that this was a, like a really really nice kid who'd been the victim of like so often in Liverpool just in general but at the time there was a spate of murders and shootings where it'd been like kids who were in gangs shooting other kids who were in gangs mm. right so sometimes when you went out on that sort of job you thought that's what it was yeah but, um, especially in Heighton or Kirby you know so initially that night so you go down there you're thinking it's like a lad who's been up to no good but then you realise this is a kid who's like A grades from a good family yeah. going places in life and then you begin to realise the circumstances of what happened and you're just like, this is like a horror film. Yeah. This has happened in, in Liverpool. So there's a mixture of shock, even as you're trying to report on it and contextualise it. Yeah. And then like revulsion and an embarrassed shame because it's happened in our city. Yeah. And these are people who are like sons of this city and they've like chased a kid through a park with a pickaxe yeah. because of the colour of his skin and killed him like that. And it was just... It was one of the most upsetting ones I've been involved in covering. Mm. Um, and the reason, what happened to his Jones was, was like terrible, was horrific as well. And to be involved in covering that was upsetting as well because, again, it was someone who was completely innocent, wrong place, wrong time. Um, 
and it's just yeah, it's just it was interesting, and it's you know the cases that were national interest. Yeah. So it was an experience, but it's just sad. Yeah. How would you like? Cause like being a journalist, I guess, is that a thing where you don't <clears throat> want to get too involved in a story because you, like you said, you you might be covering these quite frequently. But like, how do you kind of stop yourself from like? being too emotional because I feel like to cover things like that like must be so like you're like right there with it you know what I mean like you're like yeah. at the forefront of what's going on like how, exactly, how, yeah. how how does it feel to be well, I know you said it, it's not nice but like no it's a good question because I used because like that's I think I'm pretty empath- you know I've got a lot of empathy I think yeah and I've always been like that but I remember when I was doing training journalism training after uni in, in, in Newcastle f- with the Trinity Mirror as it was called then like reach you own the echo send their trainees to do their final exams because mm-hmm. you do like a series of like vocational qualifications and we were, we were doing this centre in Newcastle being trained and these guys who were training us were all really experienced journalists and I remember them saying like about not getting losing your professionalism by because you do a lot of tragic stuff yeah you know even if it isn't very high profile going around to knock on a, a mum and dad who's six-year-old boy who's just been knocked over and died. It's tragic and yeah. it's upsetting. But I remember someone saying to her, it's not your grief, you're there to be professional and to prov- to do a job and, provi- and and to be compassionate and respectful, but you've got a job to do yeah. and you've got to report on it and give them a chance to, to pay tribute and to feel like that you know that mattered. So I tried to, I've always tried to retain that and to think like, it's not my grief. Yeah. I can't afford to get sub, subsumed by this because, but I think it's only partially successful because when, when you're doing something like that, you've got to be, you'd have to be like a sociopath not to be upset by some yeah. of the details. And especially when you're in court, like I was, I used to do a lot of court case where you were covering trials and you're seeing like, especially murder trials where there yeah. are people from the family who are there, the victim's family. And so it was with Anthony Walker and, and you know with Reese Jones when the family's there and you can see them in court and you can see in the dock the person who's, who's accused of doing it and oh, it's it's you'd be it would be impossible not to be affected. Yeah. Yeah. So you just do it the best you can. Yeah. It's, it, it must be a million times harder for like police officers or paramedics or people who are actually, but it's a similar kind of yeah, sentiment. Yeah. It's it's. I feel like you can't take away what you've experienced from it because everyone's had like everyone sees a different side of it and and that's the side that you see um and it's a shame but like you said it's also nice that you might get to like share that story in a in a in a positive like not in a positive way of what's happened but like about that person to be like this was who they were and yeah. to let people know that and to share that information and that's about a responsibility them. on you isn't it like, yeah. to, to, to make sure that people understand that they're, they're more than just a victim yeah. or someone who's killed tragically it's difficult when it's you know a, a child who's like 10 because sadly they become associated with that but I mean I was speaking to these Jones' parents and you know even a couple of years ago I did a piece with the dad and it's like that was a horrendous thing that happened in one day of that child's life mm. they've got happy memories for like 10 years so yeah to the outside world people will always be like oh yeah Reese Jones yeah but they, w- they won't 
imagine the joy Anthony brought to like his family's life and the drama told that story really well didn't it yeah the heartbreaking thing was when it threw it forward to say imagine what he would have gone on yeah. to achieve that like, was so it was just unbelievably well done wasn't it but then unbelievably sad as well and, it, and, and that's the thing because you don't often think of it from that perspective of like no. what this person would have actually done you never actually see that yeah in in that form of like being so realistic and like yeah. so yeah. in that time you never really think of it beyond that um so it was nice that that could that could achieve that definitely but yeah, yeah. you've definitely um done done a lot so there's some yeah there was but and there was some funny stuff as well it wasn't always heavy stuff like that there was some like light some maids giving you a little uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cleaning the old TV in the hotel room <laughs> I'll just bend over and pick this up for you <laughs> oh, the funny thing about that was when she went and obviously I phoned the news desk and said that so yeah I've got all this records and what have you do I need to come back to the office and they're like nah you can just stay in the room tonight and come, come back in tomorrow so I was just like, brilliant. So you were Room like, service, feet up on the bed, Sky Sports on. Did you call her up and be like, oh, actually, you're <laughs> Wait! I've changed my mind. No, She's I... already been paid for. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Uh-oh, you're, you're blushing a little bit there. <laughs> no, but... Um, is it just me or is it hot in here? <laughs> I feel like we've touched on some very uh, crazy experiences. And, and what is it like now, being like you said back doing journalism doing it for football yeah and kind of stepping away from the i mean to be fair football is still pretty crazy and intense in a different way though isn't it yeah but like what's that like well in many ways football means more to some people than like anything yeah so there's a lot of people are very very involved in what you're doing and 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 your nickname is bad news bad news o'keefe because because you are the when i was at the echo and i covered everton there was just a lot of bad news. Wow. Everton would lose quite a lot of games. Is, is there not still bad news for Everton now? <laughs> I mean, yeah, sometimes. Especially as we record, they've just been thrashed by Watford. And yeah, it's, it's back by, to... By Watford? They got battered by Watford on Saturday, yeah. And oh, Watford yeah. are rubbish. Oh, man. Because Liverpool smashed Watford the week, yeah, so... Oh, dear. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so... Keeps, keeps you in a job. Bad news <laughs> or Keith, yeah. Because Everton would like... People would say on Twitter, like, oh, there's a rumour Everton going to sign this really great player. I'd check it out and I'd have to tweet out, it's not true. Everton aren't going to sign him. So people would, like, put memes of me with, like, the Grim Reaper with, like, a, <laughs> like a, what's those things that he's got? A sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's such a, a, a big flex, being like, I've got memes made of me. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, it's not... <laughs> I feel like you've probably got memes made of you. Probably if not. I could make memes, I'd make memes of you. You'd make memes of me. Yeah. I've made memes You've got of the myself. Skills. Have you memed yourself? Yeah. Everyone has. You haven't. <laughs> well, you're pretty faulty, that's why. <laughs> yeah, so football is... Do you think this is where you're going to... I mean, you, nobody knows what the future holds. Nobody knows what the future holds. But do you think that this is where you're you're kind of resting? But, yeah, as I'm happy doing that at the moment. And I... I'm interested in it. I think there's... I prefer to do stories about sports that kind of also go off on other tangents and to tell different stories. Like, yeah. I much prefer that. So, for example, a sportsman who's retired and retirement, you know, triggered loads of issues with him and he's... They are making this up, but it, 
they have done piece studies where they've gone into sort of yeah. like addiction because all of a sudden they haven't got this routine of being a professional yeah. sport. I prefer stories with, I suppose, what I'd say is a bit more human interest or substance. Got, yeah. Probably less interest in doing like Everton are trying to sign this guy yeah. from yeah, Arsenal yeah, yeah. because I've done that a lot over the years. So I'd like to just probably move more into telling sort of like more... storytelling and like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and like there's a guy who works at The Guardian who's, who's probably who I would aspire to be like who's called Donald McRae who interviews sports people but he will have, sit in front of them for like two hours and usually they've got something important to say like they yeah. might be I don't know the first openly gay boxer who's come from Cuba or something I think he did, they literally did do a piece about him and he'll get these amazing interviews and it'll be like it, it, powerful reading yeah so that's what I'd like to, yeah. to do more of you know, a lot of like, impactful yeah exactly impactful that's a good word impactful journalism you know? and whether that's as, and sport has got because sport is like it's a universal thing isn't it it's got so much power so to, much depth to it yeah do you think you'd ever want to do stuff on TV because I know you've had a few appearances yes you know? yes do you think you could see yourself <coughs> you know I'd, on a chair on soccer AM is that what it's called soccer AM I don't know I don't know what do you, do you I mean, Scott Graham's that thing on Sky Sports. What's the one called on BBC? Oh, Match uh, of the Day. Match of the Day. I mean, who knows? Like, I haven't got any burning ambition to be on TV or to be like a a presenter or anything like that. Not particularly, I prefer writing. I enjoy podcasting. Yes, you are. I do do bits and pieces on TV, don't I? Very occasionally. You have a little pop in. Yeah, and I don't don't dislike it. So if. But I feel like you'd, you've got to really, if you wanted to be a presenter or to be a, a panellist, you've got to be like, that's got to be something really important to you. Yeah, and you've got to be determined. Not that bothered about that. Especially not because I've been such an amazing actor during the years, haven't I? <laughs> um, uh, Hollyoaks 2000, remember? We've discussed this. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? The thing is with you, Greg, is you've done so much. I forget a lot of it. Exactly. And then you tell me, and I'm like, bloody hell, you have lived a life. Massive role. But in you life. are, you are, you know, halfway through it by now. So. <laughs> <laughs> God, God forbid. Zing. God forbid. But um, wrapping up, you know, on your on your life, your career. Wrapping up, you joking? Aren't you? I want to just get going. Oh, you want to keep going? Yeah, if you can keep going, then long form podcasting. You can. I was just gonna. Ask. I was just thinking this was gonna be a free therapy. <laughs> You're using this. I haven't cried yet. Do you know what I'm going to break well, what, down? What do you want me to ask you that's going to make you cry? Because you're like, what? <laughs> so go on, wrap it up. Okay, so you're, swiftly on. you're an incredible um, journalist. You know, you're a podcaster, you're a man of sports, but you could, a man of sports. You I like could that. never find out how to love. <laughs> I asked for this tonight. You said you wanted... <laughs> You said you wanted to be made to cry. I, I asked for this. No, I, I couldn't. What was that? You can never. What did you say? You could never love. Well, that's wrong. That's factually incorrect. Love can never find you. <laughs> no, it does find me. It just keeps finding me with the wrong people. Yeah, it does. Yeah. You don't have the best luck. But I was going to ask, which actually ties in quite nicely to this. Oh, yeah. Have you been watching You on Netflix? No, I have, but I, I've been talking about it over the weekend. I'd watched the first season of You. So you haven't even seen the second season? No, because I sort of just gave up on it. Because I used to watch it with an ex. <laughs> Ironically, it's just too painful. And it, <laughs> it reminds you of them. Yeah. No, I kind of, initially it kind of did, but then I just, there's so much to watch, isn't there? But anyway, right. someone was telling me about what it 
what it's like now and it kind of made me think oh maybe I should get, give it another I think try. you should give it another go you know why does he remind me of you <laughs> why are you asking me about you I haven't killed anybody <laughs> he reminds me of you <laughs> you are him right. now what okay what are you watching on Netflix this is what I asked my last guest I think it's quite a nice question because it's a good question it gives people listening maybe an idea of what to watch or they might be able to relate to it and be like, yeah, I've been watching that and I feel the same. Mm, mm. Well, I'm in between series right now, but that does not not a very helpful answer. So instead I'll say, finish Squid Games like everybody else. Yeah, I finished that the other day. And I was like, yeah, enjoyed that. Yeah, it's okay. Do you know what? It, it took me a long time to get through it. Mm-hmm. It took me a very long time. Um, don't know how sat- sat- satisfied I was with the ending. No, I, I wasn't satisfied with it at all. But overall... It was a, it was different. It was different. That was like that aspect of it. Like, but I'm like, you, you've cried about wanting to see your kid and help improve her life. Excuse me, and I'm like, blah blah blah. You got out alive. You got all this money. Just get on the plane and go and see your kid. Yeah. What are you turning around for? It just shows annoyed, what he was me. really about, though, doesn't it? It does. So that annoyed me. Um, but yeah, watch that. And then I want to watch this one on on Prime called Last Man. Mm. Have you heard of that? No. And the premise is quite interesting. It's like the whole. There's like a virus and it targets like whatever chromosome men have got. And so basically all the men in the world by this one guy are wiped out in an instant. I, I have seen that come up. I have so, seen and it. I, it. I just think, oh, it sounds quite interesting. Yeah. And it's like, it's how, it's not just about him. It's like about how the world it functions when it's just women. And then he's just this random lad. He, he wasn't saved for any particular reason. It's just some flaw of whatever the virus was. And I just think it's quite an interesting premise to see yeah. what But I haven't started watching it yet. I might give that a watch because I didn't know that was actually what happened. I thought it was like yeah. set in like when the, what's it called? Like, what? Um, what's it called when pe- humans were just evolving? Evolving? Like the the first, you know when humans are like. Oh, um, like the Darwin times when they were going from being like. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. I thought it was set in them times. Oh, so <laughs> that's why I didn't want. Go on, what was your in your head? What, what, what did you think? It was I about? thought it was about the first man. Oh, yeah, instead, it's quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah. So I actually might give. So, that a but one maybe you want to be quite interested as well, actually. Yeah. Um, maybe not. Yeah. But um, I watched recently on Prime the um, Nine Perfect Strangers. Have you seen that? No, but I've heard about it. Is it good? Yeah, it is quite good. You know, it's not like um, it's like therapy. The show therapy. No, it's like if you were getting therapy, that's oh, what really? the show is like. Like, that's what other people are doing on the show, pretty much. Ah. But um, it's quite nice because it doesn't have that, like... Do you know what it's one of them things where it's like, the real the real demons were within the moral arm? Yeah, yeah, It's yeah, like that yeah. kind of thing. But um, I'd recommend it. It's quite like a... It's quite a nice watch. It, okay. it does get quite intense, but... Um, do a bit of intensity, it's fine. But yeah, it's got Nicole Kidman in it. It's got quite an all-star cast. Yeah. It's got Nicole Kidman. It's got Melissa McCarthy. Um, oh, what's he called? Luke Evans. Nice. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Welsh one. Yeah. Um, oh, Regina Hall, is it? Got her oh, in it. Big hitters. Yeah, so... Give that a try. I'd give that a try. Fancy. And I'm just excited for Gamora to come back, but I think I don't think you've watched that, have you? No. It's like the Italian... No idea what that is. It's like an Italian crime one set in Naples. Oh. It's really good. That does that. Is it on... Prime? No, it's on Atlantic. It's got Atlantic. Oh. <coughs> so that's come back. But what time. do you think I'm made of money? Yeah. Darren, tell you, Dosh all over the place. Sky Atlantic. 
So you're listening to your penthouse apartment as we record. Penthouse. Eating champagne wine gums. <laughs> do you ever think champagne drink champagne? No. You do. That was the motto. That was the motto of our Christmas meal last year. Oh yeah. Oh god yeah. We should do that again this year. Just don't give Ruth any champagne. Just don't give Ruth a drop. <laughs> no, no champagne for you, Ruth. She was drunk before she even got to your house. But, yeah. But, um, yeah, do you know what? We're getting to an hour now. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you're a busy man. Exactly. It's getting late. This you know? is long form already. This is long form. <laughs> Someone say long enough. Yeah, this, you might listen back to this and start crying. Yeah. That might be what you need. But, um, yeah, thank you for taking the time to chat to me, to share your incredible stories about your your journalism career and your right. your pimp diving delving pimp know. diving pimp delving pink pimp delving you know you had a little yeah oh, should i be a, should i get a massage oh, should i get a cleaner but hey I, you're you're implying an ambivalence in my motive there i don't like the sound of i was there for purely journalistic reasons sure that's what they are <laughs> That's what they are. Can we just go back to man of sport? Impactful. Can we end on those words, please? Yeah, okay. Man of sport, impactful with his words. Yes. The man, the myth, the legend, Greg O'Keefe. Thank you once again for a great chat, a great talk. Thank Have you. you got any last words? Just to say thank you for having me on your podcast. I did say to you today I was scared it'd be very boring. Yeah, I know. And you and Ruth were very nice about it. I was like, how can it be boring when you've lived this long? I enjoyed it. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Have a lovely day. Have a lovely evening, whatever you're doing.